Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters To Go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's Tuesday, January 26th. We are uh, live, live to tape today, aren't we, Julie? Yes, we are, Leanne. That's exciting. Whatever that means, it's very exciting. I'm Leanne Dolan here in Pasadena, California. My sister Julie Dolan is in Dallas, Texas, recording from your new studio, Julie, aren't you? Yes, Leanne. I'm in my new house, and I'm going to tell you about it a little later on the show. Yep. All right. We have a full show today. Uh, Lots to talk about. We're going to talk about Julie's big move. She has some moving tips. I don't know. uh, For those of you who are new listeners, you might not be aware that Julie has moved 1.6 million times in her adult life. (laughs) (laughs) That's about right. I've yeah. moved so many times, I decide I'm just not even going to count it up. I just, I don't want to count. It's too demoralizing. It is. Yeah, right. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we have some corrections to make from a show earlier in the month. Apparently, we had a show. Julie, I thought we had a great show. And then it turns out we had almost everything factually wrong. So we have to make some corrections here at Satellite Sisters. We're going to talk about the new college admissions process that a couple of the or 50 of the top schools are kicking into gear over the next couple of years. Our thoughts on that. Um, Julie, did you ever see that TED talk about those power poses that uh, sociologist Amy Cuddy did? It's one of the most um, watched TED talks of all time. I certainly did, Leanne. I do that Wonder Woman pose all the time. (laughs) I believe in it, Leanne. You know? I, no, totally she, I just, you know, it works. They have, they have the, they have the studies, the backup to prove it works, but she's out with a new book called Presence and she's been everywhere. But I saw a couple of tips I thought would be particularly good for our audience about okay. how to bring more presence into your, uh, your personal positioning. And then you have some Tuesday trends. Leanne, uh, you, you and I were taking up knitting. That's, I'm just telling <laughs> no. you that. Okay. We are going to let knitting into our lives. Okay. I'll explain it all on the Tuesday trends. All right. I've tried once. It was, it didn't go well for me. You know why? Because I just didn't care. (laughs) Just, I just didn't care. It's the same reason I, now, now you're going to, I'm going to make you care. I'm going to make you care, sister. You just, you just wait. It's the same reason I can't bake. It's so precise. You had to follow the directions. I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't find that relaxing, but okay. You're going to make me care. Uh, I'm watching the new Warren piece, Julie, on the History Channel, and I have one big problemo with it. Uh, and then, of course, we have Down and Gabby, our Downton Abbey recap. No Madam Secretary this week because it was a repeat, but we got a new Downton Abbey. It was a fine, fine episode, and we're going to talk about that. But, Jewel, what is happening with the move? How did it go? You had a crazy schedule that week. You had yes, it did. I trips to, to Nac- book events. I, I went to Nacogdoches yeah. the weekend before the move. We moved, and then I went. Uh, I went away. I was uh, south of San Antonio this past weekend after the move. So it was very, very busy. But as you say, Lynn, I have moved a lot. I've moved uh, across town. I've moved uh, a million miles. It seems like a million miles. I've moved across the world. I've moved to Thailand. I've moved from Thailand to Moscow. I've moved from Moscow to San Francisco. I mean, I, you know, I just keep moving, Lynn, and I think it's a good thing. So, um. And I've learned a few things about moving. I believe I've developed a subspecialty uh, in moving that I've gotten quite good at it. Um, uh, so the first thing is you can never start. It can never be um, starting too early in terms of packing. Okay. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. 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 I, thought you were, I thought you were asleep, sister. No, I'm here. No, okay. I'm listening. Right okay. Well, first thing is don't skip. Unpacking material. Okay. You know, I know you're tempted to think, okay, I'm just going to get some newspaper. You know, it's free. It's cheap. I'll wrap everything up in that. You are going to deeply regret that. Okay. Cause newsprint, it gets over everything. Then your hands are filthy. Whatever you wrapped it in is filthy. You have to get good packing materials. You can buy it at discount stores. You can buy it online. They'll deliver it to your house. 
and then watch some videos so you can learn how to wrap and pack things properly. Because it doesn't matter if you're moving a mile or a million miles, you still have to pack stuff. You can't just throw it in the back of the car or the truck. You hear that? Right. I hear it. It's okay. It's the same process, really, whether you're moving three blocks away or 3,000 miles away, right? I know you just moved. I know you moved your son yep. into, into the condo. You have to. Did you get any packing material or did you use newspaper? No, we had packing material okay, here. Good. Yeah, I'm we've saved it from whatever. My husband's a good packer. So, yeah, no, we took it seriously. Okay, I, I believe this in that the the opportunity to move is your opportunity to donate, sell, and trash. Just keep repeating that. <laughs> donate, sell, and trash. Okay, there are a lot of things in your life. You don't need all those things. I know you don't need, you know you don't need all those things. This is your opportunity to go through everything in your house and decide if can you donate it, can you sell it, can you trash it? Okay. That's, that's very important. You do not, you do not want to move stuff. You don't want to regret the stuff you moved. This is, this is your chance. And you can have a nice little chat with that particular thing. You can decide (laughs) and you can just send it on its way. Okay. That's what I think. Okay. You need a rain plan too, Leanne, because guess what? It rains when you move. Okay. (laughs) It it rains the one day we moved our son. It's yes, it's yep. bad. It's uh, you know, and you have to decide. Okay, if it's going to rain, what are you going to do? You're going to are you going to continue on, just going to get the wet, soggy boxes, or, or are you going to postpone? You should definitely think about that ahead of time. I think that's the most important thing. Then I always say, and um, is that you should make your bed first. Keep your bed sheets, your pillows, <laughs> your blankets. Keep those on your person. Okay. Because that, because you are going to be exhausted from moving. So as soon as you get into your new apartment or house, you go make your bed. Don't, oh, don't that's a good tip. On a single thing until you do that, because you are going to want to. You're going to drop dead at the end of the day because moving <laughs> is exhausting. And if you haven't made your bed, you're going to cry. You're just going to cry, you know, because you're going to have to sleep on that mattress and you won't know where your sheets are. It's just going to make you so sad. Okay. <laughs> So as, but that, so making your bed is the most important thing. And now, now I used to say, oh, we get your kitchen organized, but now it's all about connectivity. That's the most important thing, right? Yeah. You have to get your Wi-Fi going. You have to, that's it. You know, that's you, you can't, you really can't operate too long without being connected. No. So no. That's my son ran into that issue. There were some issues getting his Wi-Fi connected and he learned finally why people hate the phone company. His first adult move was to like get one, get Wi-Fi. And he didn't I, know you've shielded him. Yeah. From, he's, oh, he's, oh, he's never interacted with the phone company or cable companies. And after like complete and total runaround by several companies, he's like, okay, now I get all those jokes about the phone company. Yeah. It took him eight days to get Wi-Fi at the new place. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, that now... That's like your top priority. Yeah. So you that you really got to think ahead. You got to get it scheduled. You got to get, you know, just allow the time. So whatever is your unpacking plan, connectivity is right up at the top of the list. And then I really have developed sort of um, a spiritual feeling about, you know, how you arrange stuff when, in your new house. So, I mean, you can work out a floor plan ahead of time. That's helpful. But I believe that things Find their place, Leon, in your wherever your new abode is. It may take a while; they may float around for a while, but then they sort of settle in to where they're supposed to be, and it will and they, it will be revealed to you in your new location. So don't panic. Don't panic when you first get to your new place. Like oh, I don't know where to put things. I don't know where to hang pictures. Just you, you have to accept the zen of the move. That. Things will float into place. I believe that. Okay. Yeah, Leanne, this it's it's very important to have a positive attitude about moving. Okay, Julie, you're right. You could get really depressed. You could it could be incredibly stressful. But instead, you know, you have to be one with your new abode and your and your your hand selected, perfectly crafted things that you spent a lot of time going through. They will find their, they will find their place. Mm. That's, that's my advice to you. I think so. you're going to give that tidy woman a run for her money. If you create a little book out of this. <laughs> I think I can write a book, Leah. 
All right, you want to be my you want to be my book editor? Okay, we can do it. Okay, things things but think of a snappy title, Lynn. That's your job. Okay. Okay. But Lynn, one of the things about this uh, this nice little empty nester uh, house that uh, the reason why we bought it is because it had an open concept. You know, you know how much I love HGTV, and so ever you know, you watch, if you watch any amount of HGTV. Um, you know, it's all about open concept and crown moldings and double vanities and granite and stainless steel. We're all looking for the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I honestly had never lived in an open concept uh, house. Oh. <laughs> Which is not really. I've always lived in a house that had rooms, Leanne. Yeah, like that's true. Rooms. Now that I think about your houses, yeah. I've always had houses with rooms. Mm-hmm. So now it's my husband and I in a, like a big room, okay, together. And there's been, um, there's, been a, there's an adjustment period yeah. to this because there are no rooms, Leanne. I cannot, I cannot send my husband. Because my international business husband, he is constantly taking business calls at home. And, yeah. he, and he prefers to do it on his speakerphone. Right. But if he's on his speakerphone in our now one room. Oh, wow. I cannot turn on the faucet at the sink because right. it's all in the same room. The other day when you called me, Leanne, we were in the same room and my husband is watching me, watching me talk to you on the phone. Oh, that's weird. In the same room. In the... <laughs> Leanne, you cannot sneak a cracker out of the kitchen cabinet. If you're in the same room, because he hears it. He's like, what are what you doing you, in there? What are you doing? Oh, no. Oh, wow. You can't leave dishes in the sink because you sit down on the couch and you're like, there are dishes. In the sink. <laughs> I, it's all one. I don't know. I don't know what I would like to know. People who have mastered living in an, uh, in an open concept. Do you get a little tent? Do you set up yurts in the backyard? The shed. Get one of those metal sheds. As the advertised on Do you TV. just spend your whole life in the bathroom when you want private time? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I think I'll, I think I'll like it, but it, it's been a little shocking, Liam. Because mm. it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, we're right there all together. <laughs> Wow, I hadn't really. That is a word of caution, Julie. That is a that is something. something to think yeah, about. it is something. It's a particularly you know for empty nesters. I believe that you know our marriage is strong enough to weather the open concept. But we're gonna we're gonna create we're gonna get some barriers going here, Leanne. I'm gonna create some cones of silence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna be one of those people that goes to Starbucks all for hours in the morning uh, from <laughs> ten to twelve. Ten to twelve. That's a. I've noticed, you know, because we have the the eat in the kitchen TV room all together. Uh, when I the boys don't mind when I do the dishes when they're watching TV, which is right. kind of them. It's not like they've ever done the dishes while right. I'm watching TV. Oh, isn't that nice? They don't <laughs> mind that you do all the dishes. But my husband sort of gives me the stink eye, like. Well, it's a little loud. Well, yeah, someone's got to do the dishes, though, while you watch the TV. Anyway, well, Julie, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about options you had looked at. And you mentioned that you looked at 55-plus communities and that um, it was a little too old for you. Like, just an an average, you just didn't want to be the youngest person in a 55-plus community. And we got a lot of people, including Marie, who said, listen, it's a great deal. Uh, it's low cost. People shovel your snow seemed to be the a number one thing that people were psyched about to live in a community. And maybe you should give them a second look. And that was the show where we pretty much got everything wrong on the show, Julie. So don't feel bad. Because... <laughs> I mean, I felt like I made, I, I made a, a quick joke because I do, I think many of those, we, we looked at one. I wish it was closer to where, my grandchildren lived. I think that was, you know, honestly, that was probably a bigger decision. But I love the, I love the, um, again, the floor plans of the houses were great. The amenities were good. Um, so I can understand why you want to, uh, you know, the appeal of those. And uh, I take it all back and I apologize. 
Like, you don't have to do that. I mean, super sorry. (laughs) You don't have to do that. I only mentioned it because it got me thinking about assisted living. Like when my parents moved down here in Southern California, we went to look at a lot of those assisted living places. Uh, They were older than you are now. But my mother, and you remember our mother's big objection was like, oh, wait, they cook your food? I don't, I don't want that. Like, and you have to eat your meals with other people. Yes. She just didn't want any of that. And I understand, like, I, I'm kind of a lot like mom. Like I think uh, in, in her older years, the fact that she did everything for herself, slept to the grocery store, did this, did that. I think it actually kept her young and active. Like, don't you? That, you know, yes, I do. even though she complained nonstop about, <laughs> about slept to the grocery store, it actually gave, gave her very, you know, kept her very physically fit. So I was thinking like, if I moved into an assisted living, I wouldn't really want anyone cooking for me or doing my gardening. Like I like to do that kind of stuff, but here's what I do want in assisted living. So Marie, let me know if this happens at your assisted living place. I would love someone to do my laundry. I think that would be a good assist. I, I cannot stand emptying the dishwasher. I don't mind. (laughs) Really? I don't mind loading the dishwasher. I just, it's a mental barrier for me to empty that dishwasher. Oh, I hate it. And then I would like someone to take care of the scheduled maintenance on my car. <laughs> I hate well, doing that. Well, so. see, you're not going to be able to drive. You're, they're going to take the, you're going to be on the shuttle bus. Which okay. sounds nice to me that they that they drive you around. I like that part of it. So okay, all right. So thank you, Marie, for setting us straight on that. All right, couple other things, Julie. I know you were moving. Uh, last week, but um, there was a new college admissions uh, emphasis that was announced by uh, this group of people, the work of the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and uh, it was called Turning the Tide, okay, and it's taking a new look at college admissions from the standpoint of admissions people, educators, parents, high schools, like what are we doing wrong now in college admissions? How have we set the standards at such a high level that we are actually damaging the physical and mental health of our high school kids? Which is true, right? Now, we have this standard at some of these schools, these top 50 schools, where you know around 10 to 20% of kids get in. They need to take multiple AP classes. They need to jam up their resume with all these community service projects. They need leadership, leadership, leadership opportunities. It makes you crazy. And in the meantime, we see kids who are getting less sleep. They have more anxiety and depression than like any generation in history. They're turning to medications to get through this, all to go through these hoops to get into these top colleges. So this brain trust of people got together and said, you know, how, how can we turn this around? How can we save the health Uh, the mental and physical health of high school students, and rethink college education. And their recommendation, Julie, there's a couple of recommendations. One was to de-emphasize standardized test scores. Uh, Another was to um, just to really uh, look at ways that they could allow kids from, you know, poorer school districts and kids that might not have access to AP classes, might not have access to all this test prep. You know, that was one of the problems. And Julie, the word they seem to have settled on is looking... (laughs) Looking, looking for kids who display kindness in their application. All right. Now, okay, you know that I'm, I've, I've got a new business. I am going to be a kindness coach. Leanne. Exactly. I'm going to charge $500 an hour and I will teach your child how to be kinder. Okay. Isn't that what's going to happen? Exactly. Kindness. If that's the new standard, like, I don't really see why that's any different than, you know, math SAT scores. Like, there are going to be parents that are going to pay kindness coaches to game the system. I don't know how you judge that when you're UCLA and you get 100,000 applications. It's never going to be about kindness. Right, right. And again... These are not institutions of higher kindness. They're institutions of higher learning. So really, I mean, you could be a very kind student and not be very able at the same time. Yes, that is true. I mean, at some point you have to say, you know, you really, somebody needs to be really good in math. And somebody needs to be really good in science. And I would like some kid that has displayed excellent debate skills to go through an excellent university. But I I don't even understand this. This doesn't make any sense to me how they think this is going to level some kind of playing field. When you look at things like the Ivy Leagues, their admissions rate is 5%. 
Right. That's just an inherently competitive situation. So kindness isn't a better standard than math scores. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's to counterbalance the ruthlessness that comes from, you know, trying to be in that top 5% uh, to get into schools, you know, where, where kids are really, uh, you know, ultra competitive with each other and that they are not exhibiting any kind of personal skills of empathy or kindness or understanding or generosity or helpfulness to uh to their classmates but i, I that is, it's a totally subjective thing uh, yeah. i'm i'm kind of shocked uh it sounds like they probably had a lot of long committee meetings and it just that made them feel good but i i mean I, it seems impossible to implement as a former admissions director yeah as someone that has done admissions right. and knows how hard it is uh, to select students when all of the students look outstanding uh i i don't know you know i i don't i think it's incredibly unfair uh for you know for me to you know read an application and say oh well this kid seems kinder than the last one i, <laughs> I know i you mean know? first of all have you met teenagers Right, and, not that and who kind. am I? And who am I? I'm just an admissions. <laughs> right. how, how do you know I'm kind? You know, how do you know I have any ability to, to like determine what kindness is? Yeah, I just thought it was like crazy, especially in light of the fact. I mean, we have a lot of people on our Facebook group that ha- seem to have high school seniors, as I do, and and first they need to eliminate all those college rankings, like, and then they need to eliminate parents who care about college. <laughs> Rankings. <laughs> and then they need that to seems a little hard. They need but, to eliminate like marketing profusely to these kids that are never gonna get into these schools. Like I cannot tell you I, I love my son Colin very much, but there was no way he was gonna get into the University of Chicago. And he must have gotten based on the fact that they have like a six percent admissions rate and he cannot do math. And he would be the first to admit it. So let's just get it out there on the table. Like, but he got a million pieces of direct mail. And so when I hear people describe it as I'm being recruited by this school, no, you're not. No, they're just trying to jack up their, you know, the number of applications they get. It's because just been- that increases their selectivity, yeah. rate, which in turn makes more people want to apply because you you know, it's, you don't want to get in, you don't want to go to the school you can get into. You want to go to a more selective school. I'm all for schools like de-emphasizing some of these AP classes, or when I did admissions interview for my alma mater, which is a top school, um, you know, I was told, like, when we interviewed kids, they said, we actually put more emphasis in our admissions on kids that work after school, or have to care for siblings or, or grandparents, like, that to us is more important on an admissions application than a whole list of extracurricular activities. So they said they already had that kind of built into their system, which is one way you look at kids uh, who need to work after school or who can't, you know, who have to take care of younger siblings. That can be an economic indicator too. So they already had that built in. So I'm not really sure what this is. I just thought, oh, someone is going to cook up this idea of the kindness coach. Like, I don't, (laughs) what is that? It's just the crazy. Well, again, it, it just it is there the disparity between people who have resources to pay for SAT prep, right. and, you know, and put kids in private schools and have college admissions counselors and and to pay for all these extracurricular activities and those kids that don't that gap is growing and uh, and and colleges I mean it's they should be trying to address this yes because, I mean I think it's one thing that. Everybody that's associated with this can agree with it's out of control. It is it's, out of you know, control. You, you know, it's, it's out of control. You never meet a parent that said, "Oh, well, we had a just a terrific experience applying to you know colleges." You know that you know. No, I mean, even if you even if you get into any of these selective schools, it's still like this craziness. It's out of control. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how, how changing the changing the indicator from you know GPA to kindness makes that anymore in, in control it just it seemed like a nutty it seemed like a nutty thing to try to judge uh especially like i don't know do we do the 15 and 16 year olds in our lives have to be any kinder than the 36 or 46 or 56 year olds in our lives you know what i mean that's a tough thing to hang on a teenager 
They, right. they got a lot going on in their own lives. Right. I mean, some of them are very kind and that's lovely, but many yeah. of them couldn't care less. Right. <laughs> and I kind of think that's their right as a teenager, you know, I don't know. It's sort of a period in your life when you're particularly unkind. I very think. unkind. It's sort of when you're two, you know, two years old, they're, they're not known for their kindness. Yeah. Two year olds. And uh, yeah. So I, it just seems nutty. Okay. Uh, moving on, uh, speaking of select schools, all right, there is uh, a PhD at Harvard Business School, Amy Cuddy. She's a sociologist, and she has this top, you know, TED Talk about power poses. She's done all this really fascinating research about how actually physically getting into these different poses before we go into a job interview or, uh, you know, to do a presentation or take a test can actually change our internal chemistry. Because if you go, if you spend two minutes, she says, like doing a pose where you hold your arm like starfish pose, winter rocky pose, your arms above your head, your legs splayed, it actually raises the testosterone and then you can just bring it in more stressful situations. And um, this talk came out, this TED talk came out a couple of years ago, and she's literally heard from thousands of people all over the world on how this has changed their life. Like just doing this before really stressful situations has unlocked all these different kinds of emotions and they just feel better about themselves and they gain confidence and And it's kind of astonishing stories. So she has a whole book now called Presence bringing your boldest self to your biggest challenges. And she uses a lot of these anecdotal stories in the book uh, for all different kinds of lessons. And she's been out and about doing a lot of media. So I feel like every time I open a magazine or listen to a, a radio talk show, there she is. And she's great at talking about this. And it really is incredible how it changes people's attitudes towards these stressful situations. You know, and Leanne, you know, what's a little behind the scenes was that one of the reasons that she got very interested in this area was be she was just overcome with fear that she used to have incredible panic attacks and be unable to uh, be successful in a presentation or, you know, defending her dissertation or, you know, or speaking up in class that because of her own, you know, even though she's, uh, you know, highly intelligent, highly skilled, just lack of confidence that that's one of the reasons why she got interested in this area. Yeah. I mean, it has really deep implications. It's so beyond just like nailing it at work. It has to do with like speaking up in class and representing yourself in a situation where you're up against an authority figure. Yeah. I mean, it it applies in a lot of different situations. And I had read that she was in some terrible accident and they told her she wasn't, you know, she was never going to regain her IQ. And, you know, she ended up getting her PhD at Princeton. So she did, she's apparently very kind, Julie. I think that's it. Uh, But, um, so she has lots of fascinating things to say, but this book is about presence and she just defines presence as when you are truly in the moment. And I thought that had a lot of interesting implications for our world today when no one is ever in the moment anymore. Like if you see them physically, they're bent over, they're, they're cell phones, they're looking down, they're not looking up, they're not listening, they're distracted, no one's ever fully focused. And she said she defines presence as just being fully engaged in the moment that you're in, both mentally and physically. It has to do with sitting up straight and making eye contact and putting the devices away. It has to do with not only talking, but listening, just to be fully engaged. She said most people get very anxious because they're anticipating questions and anticipating what might happen rather than just being in the moment and letting it happen. And that really resonated with me because I remember when we used to do those high profile interviews uh, with people. <laughs> remember that? With celebrities? <laughs> yeah, no. I, 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 there was and, I, and you're always, I was always trying to think, well, what am I going to say next? I wasn't even listening to the response. Right. And so I, I definitely was not in the moment. Yeah. And as soon as I learned the technique of actually having questions, I would prepare ahead of time writing them down. But a lot of times, if you just listen to the guests, the next question would come out as opposed to, 
I'm going to get to my set of questions no matter what. And I think for me, that's when I sort of learned, oh, this is what that means to truly listen and, and to feel confident and stuff like that. But she said in this article in Self Magazine, she, uh, she, the question was, how do people work to develop presence on a daily basis? And she said that the goal of presence is to feel powerful and in control. And so you do want to sit up straight and do all these things. But she said this, and I think this is particularly true of women. She said, one of the things you want to do is you want to practice speaking slowly, right? Because mm -hmm. presence is all about taking up physical and temporal space. And I've seen that with a lot of women, particularly young women, is they talk really fast. Have you noticed uh -huh. that? <laughs> and, and sometimes I just want to say slow down just take a deep breath just slow down it's okay to fill up a little more time and space with your responses to things so i thought that was great advice if there are any millennials listening that you can actually practice talking slower and that's a fantastic thing to do just that alone is going to increase your confidence i think people speak quickly because they think well i'm just going to say it fast and then mm, i don't know in case something wrong happens but no take your time speak up and say it slowly. So I thought that's that was a, good That's advice. a very good point. And it wouldn't, you don't even have to be practicing for a speech. You no. can imagine in a group, you're out with your friends for a dinner, you're at your book club, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're just gathered with people that, that if you just slow down a bit, right. you know, that's, I like it, Lillian. Right. Yeah. So I wanted to pass that along. I thought that was just one simple, besides the Wonder Woman pose, you do that before you go, you go in, you sit up straight, you put the devices away, you listen, and then when it's your turn to respond, speak slowly. Speak slowly, okay. people. Okay. And then and presence. Okay. Presence. I'll put uh, all the information about this at SatelliteSisters.com. Amy Cuddy is the expert, C-U-D-D-Y. It is the second most popular TED Talk about these power poses. It's pretty fascinating research research if you're into that but i thought this was worth passing on presence okay well lynn it's tuesday yeah and uh that's i like to bring you trends that i spot as i look out across the horizon i like to just keep you informed about tuesday trends so here's the first one lynn it's official people love breakfast can i tell you that they have news out today that McDonald's, which, you know, it, you, you, you may or may not know because yeah. you probably haven't been to McDonald's lately. No, but I it, love I love a McDonald's McCafe. Their okay. lattes are fantastic. I, okay. I swing through the drive-by once a week. Okay, Leah. Yeah. Well, their all-day breakfast menu. They went to that a, a couple months ago. They had the strongest quarter in four years. Really? Sales are up. Because people love breakfast, Leanne. I guess so. <laughs> they want to eat pancakes. They want it. They want. The, they want those sausage biscuits and egg McMuffins. You know, it's really comfort food. It's you know, it's it's people are. They love it, Leanne. They love pancakes. <laughs> okay. So if you don't know what to have for dinner tonight, have breakfast. <laughs> Didn't you love that when we were growing up? When mom used to make breakfast for dinner. Oh, I love what, that. Like once? I mean, I don't ever remember that. Oh, well, see, so this is the difference. I'm the oldest sister, Lynn's the youngest sister and youngest of eight. And so, therefore, we really lived in different families. We really did. I don't. We had completely different childhoods, even though we lived at the same address and uh, had the same same birth parents. We we had a different life. But yes, mom used to make breakfast for dinner uh, hmm. quite, a, quite a bit. It was good. So that's okay. the first trend. So just, it's good for you. People love it. Your family will love it. Um, and it's official. Second, knitting is good for you, Leanne. Okay. That stitching, you can stitch away stress. Uh, that, that repetitive action of needlework can actually induce, this is, they've done research on this now, it can induce a relaxed state that's comparable to meditation or yoga. Oh. So you can just sit on your couch. You don't have to go to yoga <laughs> and you can, but that repetitive action can, can really bring down your stress level. It can lower your heart rate. It can lower your blood pressure and it can reduce the stress hormones. 
So it's really good for you. I mean, it's, I know it's, you know, a lot of millennials have taken up knitting. There are knitting groups uh, and, um, and, uh, and it's a good thing. And beyond sort of reducing stress, there are some, you have the positive benefits of creating something. Okay, now, Jill. Now you created a mess, apparently. But, but <laughs> I, yes, I did take it up. Uh, someone tried to teach me when I was in high school. Uh, the woman I used to babysit for, she got me the needles and yarn. I just didn't care if I dropped a stitch. Like, oh, whatever. Like, I'm not going to take all this stuff out. So what I created was uh, ill-fitting and unattractive. Just wasn't my thing. Couldn't do it. But I do like yoga, so I'm just going to stick with that. Stick with yoga. But see, for knitting, I mean, the benefits go on. That, you know, many people who have, you are trying to, like, quit smoking, for example. Okay. Weight control. Okay. That, that knitting, actually having your two hands occupied in this repetitive action can really help in that situation. They found, they found that it's helped in school, lands, high-pressure situations, teaching kids how to knit can like sort of reduce, you know, the stress level in the class. They've done prison programs where it's the same thing. Wow. It can help with depression, Leanne, that, that knitting can really assist um, people that have been diagnosed as clinically depressed, hmm. that they find, again, because of the positive benefits of this repetitive action, the satisfaction of creating you know, a lot of people um, knit for a, a sense of purpose that they make, you know, they're making a scarf for a family member or maybe they're making mittens to donate and that that is very rewarding. It can help in situations where people have chronic pain because it just reduces their awareness by by sort of diverting it to like caring whether or not you've dropped a stitch or not. So keep that in mind. And it really helps with your brain function as you age. That I believe. Yeah. That they believe that this, you know, that all kinds of crafting helps to uh, promote uh, development of those neural pathways that we need in our brain. And that particularly if you knit in a group, it could, you have the socializing benefits. So okay. there's really no reason for us not to there, do it. No, I, can't, I, can't, there, I can't think of one. You make a compelling, compelling case, Julie. Okay, so, <laughs> so that's, okay. What get, that's what I'm going to get you for your birthday, Leah. No, get you. I'm begging you. I'm begging you not to do it. <laughs> I will never knit. I will never, never. I will never. I sent you some knit, knitting needles and a big ball will, of yarn. I will end up stabbing somebody with that. That is the only thing that will happen. Okay. Okay. Well, just keep it in mind. That's a Tuesday trend. All right. If you're thinking about it or you're trying to tackle something or you're just open to new things, unlike Sister Leanne, there you have it. Okay. This next thing that, first of all, it's, there's not, this is, it's a new app or maybe a pretty new app, but here's to me, the interesting thing is there's not one app. There are actually multiple apps that try to address this issue which is, uh, you've heard of drunk dialing Yeah, that you used to, you know, drink too much. And then you call your old boyfriend or you, you know, I don't know, you call, you know, call your mother or whatever. Now they have apps that are for tipsy texters that because they find with the younger generation or, or not people, you know, are having too much to drink. Then they start texting their boss, old boyfriends, old girlfriends, and so these are apps that um, will stop you from sending out a text that is a either you know filled with too many misspellings or has too much profanity in it. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so that's you know, really this, never been an issue for me. But okay, you know, go this, ahead. It is, so this is what this is to me. This is the trend. That this is an issue because there's one that's yeah. called Drunk Text Savior. There's another one called Drunk Mode, which is has over oh. a million downloads uh, that, you know, be, uh, because and it's very popular on college campuses that, you know, you, uh, you I, but I guess you have to put this on your phone because if you're drunk, I don't know that you'd have enough presence <laughs> to, you know, to turn on this app to stop yourself from sending out the profanity laced uh, text uh, to your former girlfriend or boyfriend. Uh, they have another one. They have someone who's developing one, a, a breathalyzer for an iPhone. 
Okay, that so, I'm all for. I think that's a good text. I think that's a good app. So that you would, you know, that you wouldn't be able to send out any kind of messages. Uh, you know, you had to have to blow into the iPhone somehow. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But that's, but there are a lot of, I guess there are yes. a lot of people working in this space. So yes. this must be a big. Quite an issue, yes. Big issue that, uh that uh, we might want to get to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And my final trend for this week, Leanne, something that I believe your son Colin would love to get involved in, uh, starting me- um, in Miami on February 22nd, drone racing, Leanne. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. This, is the, this, they hope, is going to be the next NASCAR. They have set up a, a professional drone racing association, they have six challenging courses. These are in abandoned malls, stadiums, subway tunnels, and they are going to have uh, drone racings that you can uh, that you can watch or that you can now train uh, to be a drone racer. Uh. Okay. I'll get Colin right on that. In an abandoned mall, that sounds like a nice place to spend your time. As a spectator, <laughs> it might be nice to go there. I. I guess it would be kind of fun to see these drones come screaming by your head if you're watching this as a spectator sport. I don't know. I don't know, Julie. I don't know. I don't know. But I think okay. I predict Play that's going to be big. I okay. predict that is that is of the trends. Other than the well, the practice and the knitting, those are pretty good. You really nailed a lot of trends. Nailed a lot of trends this week. Took us places we did not expect to go to with Tuesday trends. So good work. Excellent work. All right. We have Dan and Gabby coming up. Um, but Julie, I don't know if you've been watching the new War and Peace on the History Channel. Have you been? I, I have not. Like, yeah. I have not had a chance. To, I, I'm interested in seeing it, though. I know you've been busy. I know you've been busy. A lot happening. So I, this is the uh, six-part adaptation done by the BBC of the Tolstoy classic, War and Peace. And here's the thing. It's it's a beautifully done adaptation. It has all the elements that you want. It has the great costumes. It has the snow. It has a lot of fur hats. I know people don't like fur here, but they wore a lot of fur in Russia in 1805. It has the sleighs and the horses. It has the, you know, grand Russian houses. It has balls. It has everything. Here's what it does not have. It does not have any sense that it is set in Russia. I just don't, here's the thing. All of the actors speak in British accents, even if they are not British. Okay. Several of the leads are actually American actors and they have made the decision that everybody will speak in a British accent. So they're, and I know this is a hard decision to make for production teams, what to do, but because they're all speaking like in British accents, it just doesn't feel like it's set in Russia at all. So it's really bothering me. I'm two episodes in. It's wonderful. Oh, Natasha and Andre and Boris. Right. And then they'll come out with this, you know, British accents. It just really has lost something in the translation. That's all I can say. So you would prefer that they have the, you know, the sort of a Russian? I guess uh, so. Like, I I know that sounds cheesy, too. I mean, we've seen that in Madam Secretary. That's slightly cheesy. We've seen it in other things. But the British thing is just disconcerting. Okay, I can see that. Especially when, like, the Americans have a British accent. And they, they, they actually said in, like, the first five minutes of the show, oh, you know, we don't even get to speak our own language anymore in this country. So that, I don't know a lot about Russian history, and I've never read this. They one. spoke French. Like they spoke French. So I Googled it. I'm like, oh, well, maybe they spoke English in, in Petersburg. No, they did not. They French was the official language. So that makes it even more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, right. They should be speaking with French accents. I don't know what they that oh. they should not all sound like Pride and Prejudice, and that's what they do. Except every once in a while they say things like Boris, or you know, or they start they sing a lot, and all the songs are in Russian. So it's wow. very confusing. I'm finding it disorienting. So um, all right. Well, now I, well, I do want to check this out. So I'll give you a report later. Yeah, g- g- just give me a report. It's on Monday nights on the History Channel. Maybe they're repeating it too. And it's also confusing because you know Rose from Downton Abbey is in it, and she's in, she's now involved with the guy who plays the priest on Grandchester. And like we were watching, <laughs> um, 
been watching the X-Files this week and then Scully's in it. And I just, there's a lot of cross and all the actors you've seen in other like Jane Austen adaptations. So it's just very, it's cross-culturally very confusing to me. <laughs> so I just like to put that out there. See okay. if anybody else in the Satellite Sisterhood agrees with me. All right, coming up, we are going to go to Downton Abbey. We're going to take a short break. We uh, want to tell you that, oh, you know what, Julie? Oh my gosh, we forgot to talk about the um you're the best you're the best Galentine's Day parties. Oh yes, Lee, and we gotta do that right now. All right, we're gonna do it right now. That was poor planning on our part. Our part. Hey, here's the deal. You know, we have a book out, You're the Best, uh, a celebration of friendship. And we had such a fantastic time on our book tour, connecting with many of our friends all over the country, connecting with the Satellite Sisterhood, but just really connecting with people we haven't seen in years and like getting together for these fantastic You're the Best parties. It happened to be for our book, but it was just really reinvigorating to a lot of our friendships. So we thought, well, what what's coming up? Oh my gosh, Valentine's is coming up, but it's kind of, it's not really appropriate to give... <laughs> You know, a Valentine, but how about a Galentine party? How about a Galentine party on February 13th for your female friends? Have them all over, you know, bake up a special cocktail, have some fondue, you know, get some chocolate and just give them a moment to tell them you're the best. Right, Joel? I think it's a great idea. You can do it for dinner. You can do it for, yeah, how about a coffee? You can have people over for a coffee. And, 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 you know, again, it's, it's a nice thing because I think, yes, people do celebrate Valentine's Day with their significant other, but there are many people, you know, that, uh, that, you know, don't have someone special to, um, to celebrate Valentine's Day with. And this is a very nice way to thank the you know the people in your life that have been there for you that have been your satellite sister you know and we have the perfect little book for it you're the best you're right? the best a celebration of friendship so we're tipping our hat to amy poehler she created galentine's day on parks and rec and we're like it's perfect perfect excuse to get together with your female friends and tell them you're the best i mean one of the greatest things about the book tour was we were able to reconnect with all these friends and say to them you're the best thank you so much for being there and it's a fantastic feeling so if you're wondering you know Hmm, I don't want to have the midwinter blues, not really looking forward to Valentine's. Even if you have a Valentine, it's still nice to honor your female friends and say you're the best. So we want to encourage you to do that, to throw your own You're the Best book party as part of a Galentine celebration. And December, or I'm sorry, February 13th is a Saturday night. It's a good time to do it, actually. A okay. good time to do it. So that is it. For more information on our book or anything else about Satellite Sisters, you can go to SatelliteSisters.com, Satellite Sisters com. Many, many of you have joined our Facebook group recently, and that's been fun to see your posts there. We're happy to welcome you. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and uh, we're on Instagram. So, uh, and we'll probably put something together so you can post your Galentine, you're the best party pictures. That would be fun. It'd be fun to oh, see. Oh, I'd love to see other people's posts. Yeah, because we we've had some great, you're the best, you know, got together with my girlfriends. Here they all are holding copies of the book. Someone had a book club this week uh, using you're the best, and they used our book club guide and, and that's great so we'll put something together on the website but just if you're looking to party plan uh, uh february 13th make it galentine's day tell your female friends you're the best all right stay with us downton yeah downton gabby coming up You are listening to Satellite Sisters. This is our weekly recap of Downton Abbey. We call it Downton Gabby, and we are happy to be with you today. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California, and I'm joined by my sister, Julie Dolan, who is in Dallas, Texas. Julie, are, are you ready for this? This was a fantastic episode this week. Uh, it brought me to tears at several points, Leanne. I loved it uh, from start to finish. Yeah, I thought this was one of the best written episodes in a while. We're talking about uh, it's uh, season six, episode four, and uh, it just really had a lot of winners and losers, but I thought all in all, the writing was sharp. There were great lines. There were tender moments. Uh, there were just touching scenes. The story was moving forward, and I just thought very satisfying. I literally didn't want it to end. Like When it ended, I was oh. like, oh, I wish there were a couple more scenes. This one is so good, huh? I know. I, well, I just watched it again, Liam. That's a... <laughs> I 
that's what I did. I mean, it was just, it really was, uh, it's everything that Downton Abbey should be. I mean, beautiful dresses, beautiful costumes. And again, it, all of the scenes were, were lovely. Yeah. Okay. I separated this episode out into winners and losers, Jewel. Okay. But okay. First of all, we're all winners because Matthew Good returned as Mary's love interest, the race car driver, and pretty much everything he says is a double entendre, which is totally fine with me. Uh, we can't have enough of those, Leanne. I would like to see a lot more whining and dining, a lot more innuendos, a lot more exchange glances. I mean, I am waiting for, for Matthew to romance Mary. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I know his name is Henry. It's Henry. I'm just going to call him Matthew. Right. That's, I mean, we have had entire episodes where they're talking about pigs. So if, if this is an episode where they're making double entendres about the gear shift, I'm good with that. Like, I'm totally fine. Come on. We're wrapping this bad boy up. Let's just, let's give Mary something to hope for and the rest of us too. So thank you very much. All winners. But uh, in general, let's start with the losers. We can do this. We can do this storyline. Okay, Leanne. Yeah, because we want to end on a high note. So, okay, so I thought some of the losers this week. Okay, Baxter. Oh, for gosh sakes. Another (laughs) visit to Downton Abbey by that police inspector. Sergeant Willis. It's never good when Sergeant Willis shows up, right? Even except for the one time he did the dancing in uh, in the servants' hall, but other than that, it's 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 never good. Now, as you recall, uh, Baxter is the lady's maid to Cora. She was turned to a life of crime by someone in her old house, a gentleman who was apparently very persuasive and used young girls to do his bidding, sort of abused them sexually, had them do things. Uh, and in Baxter's case, she stole jewelry from um, the woman she was working for. Yet somehow she manages to stay employed at Downton Abbey. I never really understood why she... she well, Lady a, Cora for, uh, forgave her. I know, but I don't I don't know. Stealing your jewelry, that's like a number one thing ladies' maid shouldn't do. I don't, Other than try on your clothes while you're not there. So, okay. So Baxter, who's a fairly downtrodden character anyway gets trod on some more. She's encouraged to testify against this man. And so there's a lot of back and forth on whether she, well, whether she'll do that or not. So it looks like Julie, we have one more courtroom scene left in Downton Gabby. But here's what I don't understand. So Baxter meets with Sergeant Willis. Yeah. Now she has a choice as her legal representative, Mrs. Patmore or Mosley, right? (laughs) And she chooses Mosley. I mean, wouldn't you go with Mrs. Patmore as your wingman for anything, Leanne? She's she's Saul Gold's satellite sister, Mrs. Yes, Patmore. Yes, she is. Leanne. She is. She's the top. And that mostly he could. Who knows where he's going to uh, leave her or take her? So, but he encourages a Baxter to to cooperate with Sergeant Willis and to testify against this, you know, this horrible, sinister person. Okay, so we got that Baxter storyline to not look forward to. All right, Thomas continues to be a world-class loser. Uh, at this point, the Mr. Carson and Mrs. Hughes are on their honeymoon. So Thomas is seizing power. He is the butler uh, during the honeymoon. And he's doing a lot of scribbling uh, on that notepad in the kitchen, Julie. I don't know what he's doing there with that ink pen. But he, you know, we we get the same storyline. He's disgruntled. No one likes him. The young footman doesn't trust him. He outs one of the former uh, workers who comes back to the house. We're going to talk about that later. And then he's completely dissed by Lord Grantham, who pretty much just fires him right there on the spot, right? I, this story is really circling the drain for me, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like that Lord Grantham, you know, said, "Well, now, you know, you're 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 going to be leaving." But but then, but then he started talking back. Someday, or we're all going to be leaving. I don't know. He tried to tried to save it. So yes, I think Thomas's days are numbered. Uh, but where he's going, what what the out is going to be, I can only assume. My my hope is that he goes to work. At the, at the new hospital, William. This is what I'm hoping, that he can somehow move over there. 
So, oh, that's right. Because during the war, he did have some vaguely medical position, yes. didn't he? Okay. Yes. yes. And I'm sure someone will correct us. Because again, I can't remember what happened six years ago. So he did something. Yes, he was really important at the hospital there and then the makeshift hospital when it was at, uh, at Downton Abbey. So perhaps he will. I just hope they wrap that up like I don't know, the first five minutes of the next episode, because I'm really just, I, I know he's supposed to be a metaphor for something, but it's not something I care about. So uh, I, I feel like his character has stalled. And for all of us, it would be best if he just moved on to wherever he's going. All right. Another loser, Julie, apparently honeymoons in Scarborough. That's <laughs> okay. right. Mary, Mary, let that one be. She, she let that be known that Really, it's only for losers. Couldn't right. we have done something better? Couldn't we have chipped in to send Mr. and Mrs. Carson uh, somewhere better than Scarborough? I took note of that, land that I'm yeah. not going to be doing any second honeymooning in Scarborough. Yeah. Wherever it is. Wherever it is. If you, if you are British or you know of Scarborough and why it's such a terrible spot for honeymooning, uh, you know, let us know. I mean, I, it sounded like they were honeymooning in Scranton, PA, from the look on her face. So I just don't understand. And then another loser is just Mrs. Carson. Not the person, but the name. I mean, for yes. goodness sakes, can't those rich people just say Mrs. Carson? No, How hard yeah, is this that? Is a, again, they cannot change. They cannot adapt to a modern world. Okay? She was Mrs. Hughes, and so she has to be Mrs. Hughes. That's it. I mean, they can't change their ways. My goodness. I mean, they're so picky about what people call them. You know, that's so important. But, oh, really, we can't. Oh, Carson, is, it's just so hard to say. So, yes, Mrs. Hughes is going to remain Mrs. Hughes, and Mr. Carson is going to remain Carson. And I didn't really understand what the hullabaloo was about that. <laughs> but you're right, Julie. They just made it very clear. Not interested in changing at all. Okay. All right, let's get to the good stuff, though. Let's get to the winners of this show. I thought the Dowager Countess had just a top-notch show. She had fantastic lines. She expressed her point of view in a way that wasn't fuddy-duddy. She had very clear ideas on why she wanted the hospital here, on why she was not going to go down to that kitchen to, <laughs> to celebrate. I know. And she really got the vapors when she went downstairs. Well, of course, she hadn't been down in 20 years. That was the best. She didn't bring her passport. I loved it that she was referencing the uh, Magna Carta. That's yeah. always good. I, you know, I think she was, I think, I think Margaret Thatcher may have spent time at Downton Abbey. Exactly. Or, yes. But, yeah. Uh, with the Dowager Countess, uh, that she saw her role in the world very clearly and expressed that. So yes, A plus um, episode for her. Right. Uh, she wasn't. And finally, Isabel backed off with the hospitals because she said, oh, I th basically, I thought you were just being a fuddy-duddy, but you have a clear political point of view that you have, you feel like you have a role and a responsibility to the people and you don't want the government to come in and take over everything that you feel like you're better qualified. Fine. Go ahead. So I thought she had a top-notch show. It's about time. She's had a couple of smaller scenes this year, but she was really a star in this show. Mm -hmm. All right. Also a star in this show, Revenge of the Housemaid, Gwen coming back. <laughs> that was fantastic. If you remember Gwen way back from season one, season two, she's the one that wanted to be a secretary. She was the young housemaid that Lady Sybil helped. She got a job with the telephone company when the telephone was new. And now she has really made something of herself. Uh, she's worked in business. She married a man. And now she's involved in a school for young women that will educate them beyond what was Mary's brilliant line. She said they learned French dancing and like deception or something. Something like that, right? <laughs> it was just a fantastic line that I wrote down somewhere about what their education was like, which just explains a lot. So um, that was fantastic. Oh, French, Prejudice, and Dance Steps. That's what they learned in their education. <laughs> Uh, so Gwen comes back and at first she's very humble she doesn't want to say anything that she used to work there it would put her in an awkward position but Thomas outs her at the dinner table and much yes, to what about that that I know. was really quite the I know and quite the yeah. brown move there yes, yes but she handled, handled that situation very well um, but it did I mean it was embarrassing uh, for the rest of the family <laughs> 
Like, oh, yes, I used to be your servant, but now I'm having lunch with you. And, but you didn't even recognize me. Nice work, family. Yeah. And, of course, Tom knows the whole time, because Branson, because he, he was the chauffeur. So he recognizes Gwen right away. But he shows solidarity. He's not going to spill her secret. She didn't know she was coming. It just she was caught off guard, so just she decided not to say anything. But she turns it into a triumphant moment. Also a triumph for the late Lady Sybil a super touching scene. I was in tears at the end of that scene. I miss Sybil. I miss Sybil. I miss Sybil. I know. I mean, I, and it's so nice. I mean, even Mary feels, uh, you know, realized that Sybil had great meaning in her life, great purpose. And Mary questions what she's doing. So, yes. I mean, in every situation, what would Sybil do? I, I like that, Lynn. That yes. Was, it was very, very touching. And, you know, and it's nice to see Tom back. I'm looking for more from Tom in, in the upcoming episodes. He basically just was walking around uh, the manor this time. But hopefully he'll get more involved in upcoming scenes. But he's a man of the people. You know, he's, he's, he advocated for Daisy. We're going to get to her. He advocated for yes. Daisy. And it looks like he's going to get into the car business, Julie. So I'm excited about that because the other okay. big winner this week was cars, just in general. Yes. And uh, I married into a car family. That we don't own any automobile factories, sadly. They just like cars, and that's all I've talked about for the last 23 years of my married life. So I'm on on board. Like, Mary's got to get on board with cars, because I think, you know, Tom could be the, the new Rolls Royce or whatever. Tom, <laughs> I'd like to see Tom Branson go into cars. That'd be fantastic. All right, Lynn. All right. Also, another winner, uh, Anna. She had, uh, you know, there was a lot happening in the show. Anna, we know, was pregnant. She wasn't going to tell Mr. Bates. Mary was going to take her up to London because she needed to get a stitch to, like, you know, shore up her cervix there. And I don't know if that's the medical term, but uh, <laughs> that is probably a mistake, Lean, but keep going. Keep going. The doctor did something. He came in the middle of the night, yeah. you know, and she was on bed rest. Mary really, she sprang into action there. She yeah. did a great job. Uh, she she enlisted Tom, and Tom is, is able to keep a secret. I will say Lady Cora's expression when she heard that her daughter had some medical situation that she needed to leave Downton Abbey in the middle of the night, she was like, oh, that's all she could muster. I just... <laughs> I just don't understand some of Lady Cora's facial expressions. So that was a concern. And Edith, Edith showed no sympathy whatsoever. She was, she no. was saying no. it was all just drama. So, but good for Mary and good for Anna that she was able to keep the baby. So, and then, you know, then she was able to share the news with uh, Mr. Bates in, in not so many words. And I thought that was a particularly creepy smile on his face. Ooh, like, gosh. now he's going to kill her. Yeah. I know. He's so suspicious. He is, uh, he's on my loser list uh, for the week. That just that all the suspicion uh, all through this episode. And yes, and even when he said, you know, he was happy about the baby, there was something really wrong with that expression. <laughs> Whoa. All right. Other winners this week, Carson, when he went up to his room oh, and took his name tag, that was another, you know, tears in my eyes moment. That was a beautifully sort of underwritten, underplayed scene. You knew exactly he didn't need to dwell or make anything. He just wanted to check his room one more time. The room that he had lived in for 50 years, essentially. I know. That yeah. was that was lovely, Lynn. That yeah. was really a, a highlight for me. Right. I got Mary's gold dress on my winner's list. Okay. Okay, that that was spectacular. I mean, even the old frock that she borrowed from her aunt when she was in London, that was that bronze and black thing. Yeah, yeah. Shabby, the shabby frock. She looked really, really radiant, really beautiful. I think, uh, I mean, Henry, I think, has met his match with Mary and uh, I look forward to upcoming episodes. So I thought that was good. I thought Daisy comes out as a winner, Leanne, in yeah. this episode, right? That uh, she's uh, <laughs> she's just in the nick of time. She saves herself from herself, and her you know her father in law uh, is able to get the, uh, the cottage on the estate. And uh, I think that's where Daisy's going to end up too, don't you think? Yeah. What do you think, Daisy and that footman? There was a little bit of something there. Yeah, there's right? something over Yeah, but he, he said he wanted to be a country boy, and she's going to have a country estate now, or a little... I thought that was a pretty nice house yeah. <laughs> they're given. 
Yes. Just given her father-in-law. Again, that was a touching moment to be reminded of the sacrifice that his son had made in the, you know, in World War One, and that they, they owed him. They owed Mr. Mason that as a, you know, as some sort of, you know, statement of thanks for his son's sacrifice. I thought that was a lovely moment. Even mm-hmm. though they couldn't be bothered to learn the name Mrs. Carson, they do, <laughs> they do occasionally have right. moments of clarity. And although I have to say when Daisy was about to just, you know, go all, go off on Lady Cora, like, how could you turn around? Lady Cora looks so confused as to what Daisy could possibly be talking to her about. I'm like, (laughs) again, that was on my loser list is Lady Cora's facial expressions. They're inexplicable, Liam. And it's just, it's, it's just total confusion on the face. It's not. It's not in indignation. It's not anger. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is going on there. So. Yeah. I mean, she's had like a single conversation with Daisy in 20 years and it's been about Mr. Mason's farm. So uh, gee, I, I wonder what she wants to talk to you about. Huh? I don't know. What could it be? And, and then did you have anything else? I, I mean, we have to talk about the indigestion. Lord Grantham. Oh, well, I know. I'm worried about that. Multiple t- references um, in this in this episode. It was the one time where I felt Lady Cora was connecting to what, to the situation that she found herself in, that she was very sort of sympathetic and worried about her husband. And uh, and I think it's it's for, you know, it's a serious situation, Lee. And I don't you know, I don't know what it is. But uh, I, I don't think it's good. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about Lord Grantham. Yes. Members of the Sisterhood on a Facebook page, the Satellite Sisterhood, said, I saw the connection right away between the new hospital and the outdated methods and this alleged indigestion and where that might all turn. And, you know, how the Dowager Countess may find herself on the wrong side of that argument when her son needs actually cutting edge treatment. So we'll have to see about that. Uh, and I, any other winners, Julie? Anything else about this no. week's episode? No, just to watch it again. That's that would be my recommendation to everyone. Go ahead and, and uh, watch it again. You know what? I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, I just want to focus in on Matthew Good because I was so <laughs> I love him so much. I don't really think there's anything between Tom and Mary. I don't think that's going to materialize. No, she said she sees him as a brother. Yeah. And, and, and I think they, you know, I think in this episode you saw how they shared their confidences and that he was able to smooth over, you know, the decision to go ahead when Mary's up in, in London with some undisclosed medical situation, her family immediately turns around and said, okay, now's the time that we're going to talk about giving away that cottage uh, to Daisy. I love that. So much concern. All right. Well, looking forward to the next week's episode. I am going to watch this one again. We love hearing from you about uh, down. Down Abbey on the Facebook page. You can join our group. It's easy to do. We'll just approve you. There's usually a, a weekly thread or maybe one or two about what's happened on the show this week as we count down to the final episode of Down Abbey. I think there will be tears. I think there will be laughter, uh, maybe some weddings, maybe some births. I think we have a lot to look forward to in the next couple of episodes. Uh, so, Julie, have a fantastic week. You too, Liam. And don't forget, call your satellite sister.